You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. 91's twice yearly roadshow Taking Stock is back after a two-year COVID interruption. The highlight of the event is always director Jeremy Gardner's macroeconomic and political round the world tour. And Jeremy is with me now. Is it nice to be back on the road and sort of shaking hands and seeing the whites of people's eyes, Jeremy? It was great to be out there. And I must say, it's quite difficult planning because when you're doing the planning in the beginning of December, um, Omicron is rocketing and we're very worried that it would be too soon and it would sort of feel super spreadery. But I must say it really didn't. And the audiences are very grateful to be doing something physical. You could see that people had missed that physical contact and also the venues were remarkably thankful um, coming up to us and saying thank you for doing this because they have needed help. They need resuscitation. Yeah. Um, and I think going for it, it, it just felt right. It really did. And I think, you know, that's one of the themes of the talks is that I think the time is right for us all to get back to what we're doing um, and to to focus on, to look after the vulnerable in society, um, get back to work and and not to keep obsessing by daily numbers, rather focus on the healthcare system, which is what we did in this country in December, um, which I think was very encouraging. What were the clients' reactions to what you had to say and your colleagues had to say, and also the, their general mood? Because suddenly, and I don't know if this was reflected in their moods, suddenly South Africa's star is rising. And the reason I say that is because of the stock market performance. But also, it seems to me that as an emerging market, South Africa has suddenly become a sort of a mini safe haven. Uh, we, we'll get into that later on, perhaps. But what was the mood? It's actually amazing you say that, because that bizarrely is what's going on. Of course, a lot of people, a lot of South Africans won't realise that for a while. Because the mood, I mean, it was quite interesting at the beginning of the year. I had quite a few people saying to me, what are you going to say? Because the mood is so dark at the moment. And I wanted to say to them, why? You know, we've just come through COVID better than expected. Sure, it was a miserable two years. And sure, it's had, it's had, it, it wasn't easy. But we, we, we did better than people were expecting at the beginning of COVID. Um, and also, we're heading in the right direction. I mean, we've got... We've got sensible leadership. We've got sensible people in charge of our finances. Um, and it's taking longer than we would like. Sure, but I explained to them what that was about. It's because there are a hell of a lot of, there's a huge caseload on the NPA um, and the Hawks. And business is going to get involved. And that's going to help enormously. But, you know, I think we must appreciate the fact that we are heading in the right direction. Because there was a time when we weren't. Back in 2015, 2016, when you had Jacob Zuma as president, you had Des Van Rooyen as finance minister. We were heading in very much the wrong direction. And I think sometimes as South Africans, we've just got to actually remind ourselves the progress that we've made in the last five years, where, you know, and where we're going to. And we've got to fight together because as the president said in the States and Nation Address a few weeks ago, there's, there's a battle going on um, for the soul of this country. And I think he's right. We've all got to fight together. I mean, if you look at the attitude of the Ukrainians as they Hmm. hunkered, bunkered down and ready to fight for their country. You know, I think so, so often South Africans just want to give up and immigrate as though that's going to be the solution. Yes, that's an admirable sentiment. And again, we'll expand upon Ukraine later on. But let's start your round the world tour and let's start with the biggest economy in the world. And it begins with A, so it's alphabetically correct as well, America. And this is a backdrop to March the 1st State of the Union address from Joe Biden. And I thought after a few shaky moments that he really acquitted himself very well indeed. 
Yeah, I mean, look, the, the environment that we're coming out of COVID into is very different to the last two years. The last two years were great years for emerging markets, for uh, risk assets. You had low inflation, low interest rates, stimulus being pumped into the system. That got growth going. It got commodities growing. All good for us as a country. What you've got now very different. You've got record inflation, interest rates rising across the world, stimulus being sucked out of the system, growth slowing, not good for commodities. Throw on top of that a bit of geopolitics, and you've got a very unhealthy, well, not unhealthy, but an environment that is not conducive to emerging markets like ours. The good news is that inflation around the world um, is probably going to peak during the first quarter, and after that should start coming off a bit. But, I mean, America, as you mentioned, they are no longer pandemic-ravaged. In fact, they are red hot, and that is part of the problem. They've got inflation um, at a four-decade high. That's the highest level since 1982, which is what happens when you send people $3,000 checks in the post. So the U.S. Federal Reserve are going to um, slow them down, and they need to be calmed down a bit because otherwise they are going to overheat. And this was this prior to Ukraine was going to be the theme of this year, inflation and what do the central banks do about it. We believe that the central banks are going to err on the side of caution because they don't want to upset the post-COVID economic rebound. Yes. Um, now, Ukraine is going to push inflation, obviously, a bit because oil prices are going to go up, wheat prices are going to go up. But we still don't think that the central banks will overreact and hike rates too much because they're going to be worried about growth. Growth is going to start becoming the problem for this year. Yeah, on the wheat price, it was up around about 15% during the uh, month of February, particularly the back end of, of February. The oil price, as we pre-record this, Jeremy, is over $111 a barrel. And two years ago, it was around $11 a barrel. So these are the most extraordinary moves, uh, which have uh, yeah. ramifications for every single person in every single country in the world. OK, so that's America. And let's go to number two now. Let's go to China. China's, China's a difficult one. I've spoken to a number of your colleagues colleagues at 91 in both London and Cape Town. And I find it a fascinating story and it could go either way. What is your view? I think the big risk with China now is how they managed to exit themselves from their zero COVID strategy. They've pulled off the Olympics perfectly. They had the strict zero COVID strategy. And when China has a strict COVID strategy, where they, they close down buildings, they close down cities if they find positive infections. And um, when they close on a building, the building is closed. It's not like South Africa where there would be a debate about whether or not the building was closed <laughs> and people would be sneaking out. It's a very different story. So they've tried to keep zero COVID. Um, that clearly isn't going to work. And so now what they're trying to do is to transfer to a sort of COVID light environment um, where you try and build up herd immunity. But the problem is when you try and build up herd immunity with 1.4 billion people at the same time, it's going to put pressure on your healthcare system. It's going to put pressure on growth. It's going to have supply chain or supply chain issues, all of which could affect the rest of the world. So I think that's a big unknown is how China manages to transition COVID through its system. And will that impact on growth going forward? What about Europe? And I'll add the UK to that as well, because one of the things that has happened over the last few days and may not have been part of your presentation, is the way that there's been a unification. And it took a war for the European Union to get together and actually say something with one voice, and the UK as well. But uh, generally, apart from that, what about the prospects for Europe and the United Kingdom? 
Well, Europe, the Europeans were going to be fine. They were going to peak their inflation like um, the rest of the world first quarter, and then they were going to start coming down. The European Central Bank wasn't hawkish. They were going to get it back down to 2% by the end of the year. So that was all going swimmingly. And then along came the Ukraine. Now, I think, as you say, I think it's what Putin wasn't expecting was this massive show of support and this unification, um, which could even get the Ukraine into the EU, bizarrely. And possibly even which would be Putin's worst nightmare if they got accepted into NATO. So just touching on that at the moment, because that is the wild card, because nobody really knows how far Putin wants to go. Um, and that has implications for Europe. If he settles down with the Ukraine, keeps Belarus and one or two of those, then that, that won't have, that shouldn't go on too long. But if he starts dabbling into the Baltics, then we've got a problem because those are NATO states and then NATO is obliged to get involved militarily. Whereas at the moment they're not obliged to get involved militarily, although they are shipping weapons in. So the big swing factor is going to be what impact, um, where, where, where Putin's head is and where, how, how wide he wants to take this. I would be surprised if he took it further than um, the Ukraine simply because you know, the, the backlash is getting, it, it, the, the noise is rising around him. But whether or not he can see that, I don't know. So, I mean, the direct implications, as you said, oil up significantly, but that shouldn't last too long because they can increase um, supply from other countries. Wheat price up, obviously Russia's the biggest exporter and Ukraine fifth largest. So if you take both those out, that's got an impact. Coal up, gold up, those two will actually be good for us. Yes. And um, we import wheat, so that's not good news for us. I see that they have banned Russia from the Eurovision Song Contest as well. So no doubt that will be, I don't know how that's going to go down. The UK, UK is doing okay. I mean, they've got, um, they've got inflation, which is going to peak in April, a triple their target. So that's not great. They're going to have to reduce some of their bond stockpile this year. But also political unrest, they're not helping. As Bloomberg said, Boris has forgotten the first law of holes when you get into one, stop digging. And I think <laughs> no one more than Boris must have been actually very pleased to have headlines diverting attention from COVID parties. Yes, exactly. I was going to say it's an ill wind that blows nobody good. And uh, the first bit of good from this war has been the unification of European leaders and some fantastic speeches yesterday in the European... But if I can just say, sorry, if I can yes. just interrupt to say one thing, where the UK have been brave is their living with COVID strategy. I mean, they've mm. probably got 20 times the daily infections of South Africa. As you know, they've done away with masks and done away with all restrictions. And that that is quite interesting that they've managed to do that. So have a number of European countries. And I think that probably is the way forward. As I said in the beginning, monitor your healthcare system, not your daily infections. Yes, but you're quite right in saying that Boris Johnson didn't welcome the war, but certainly it was a welcome diversion from cheese and wine parties yeah. at, num at number 10. Yeah. Okay, let's bring this back now to South Africa, if we can, because as I said in my introduction, South Africa is a rising star, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking about um, its status as a safe haven emerging market, and the, the performance of certain asset classes, which, again, your people People at 91 have been talking to me about for a while, and I must admit, in some cases, I didn't believe them, but they've been proved absolutely right. Yeah. No, look, it, it, interestingly, South Africa, from getting a lot of negative press over the last year or two, is suddenly starting to emerge as you say, as with a sort of safe haven status, largely because of bad behavior from other emerging markets. So one must remember that 
that is where it's coming from. But I think also, as I was saying earlier on, politically, there's good news that isn't in the price yet. And that is the fact that, as I say, we have sensible people in charge. Someone said to me, what is the budget going to be like? This is the beginning of last week. I said, the budget's going to be sensible. They said, how do you know? I said, because we've got sensible people running our finances. Mm. Um, yes, interest rates are going to go up this year. Not great because, you know, we're, we're raising rates into a um, weakening economy and our inflation is imported. But don't take responsible monetary policy for granted. We've got one of the top central bank governors in the world in the Setrofanyaka. We could be in Turkey. I mean, that is a risk, another massive risk to this country. If people that don't understand economics, like President Erdogan, for instance, mm. wind up in positions of financial power. And we've had that before in this country. Remember when Des Van Rooyen was finance minister? I do. So... The fact that we've got strong people managing our economy, managing our finances, managing our country, and that we're heading in the right direction with sensible decisions, I think means that if we can just get through the end of the year, the conference, and get another four years of the incumbent president, I think that that good news is going to start becoming a lot more obvious. Okay, briefly macroeconomics now in, in South Africa, the RAND, uh, the interest rate situation, inflation, inflation will filter down from the oil producing nations to South Africa, because as I said, it's $111 per barrel as we speak. Although the RAND is, is nice and stable, um, the, the, there is always a risk that inflation starts to run away. So interest rates might continue to go up, but that has to be done. It, it's the prudent policy. Yeah. No, I mean, interest rates are going to go up. Uh, we believe probably about 1% this year in four quarter, 25 beeps increments. As I said, it's not ideal, but, but it is something that we have to do. If inflation spikes slightly more than expected, we don't really see central banks, including our own, raising rates too high simply because they don't want to affect the growth recovery. The RAND I mean, the last year or two, you've seen the rand between sort of 14 and 15. I think going forward, you'll probably see it between 15 and 16, 15 and 16, 50 maybe. So not looking too bad from a macro perspective. We've had rain, which is good, although we got too much rain. La Nina came along and it just rained and rained and rained. Um, we were in Bloemfontein a week or two ago. We met with the farmers. Some are happy, some are not. The animal farmers are very happy with the rains. Crop farmers, some are doing better than others. It depends how much... Um, their crops got damaged and how much of the infrastructure got washed away. But certainly we've come a long way from the droughts of five years ago, four or five years ago. Jeremy, very finally, many people see you in your position as a 91 director, but there's a, a softer side to you. You're a thoughtful, kind and compassionate person. So when you see what's happening in the Ukraine at the moment, do you sit down and feel slightly despairing that we should be talking about this in 2022? It's exactly what I was thinking um, yesterday. I mean, I cannot believe that this, sort of, this, this actually can be happening in this modern world that we live in. But that, I suppose, is the thing that is, that is the world in which we live. And I suppose we mustn't be naive that it, it could go further. Jeremy, thank you very much for your insight. That's Jeremy Gardner, Director at 91. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.